What up, everyone? Welcome in. Welcome, current listeners, new listeners. This is episode 24 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. The NBA Finals are here. Game one was last night. And actually, it was a pretty good game. I should have done an episode before the NBA Finals to give an actual like prediction, solid a solid prediction beforehand, but oh well, it is a Friday though. It is late Friday night, it is 8.51 currently. Episode probably won't drop until early early Saturday morning, hopefully. Assuming there are no technical difficulties. Uh, but last night was a great game. Golden State won. The game went to overtime, and really, it shouldn't have went to overtime. In, in case you missed last night, it was like the last 35 seconds of the game were just insane. Ke- Kevin Durant, the Warriors were down two at the time, I believe. Down two, Kevin Durant driving down the lane. LeBron James takes a charge. They call a charge. And then they go to review it to make sure he was outside of the restricted area. And when they confirm that, they actually changed the call from a charge to a blocking foul. And that was a huge turning point. Because the Cavs up two at the time would have been their ball. And they likely would have closed out the game and stole game one. Instead... You change it to a blocking foul. Kevin Durant gets two shots. The game's tied. And it's a whole new ball game again with 30 seconds left. It was a, really an insane chain of events. And I've, I've really never heard of this rule before. I didn't know this was a rule. Obviously, I knew you could review things. The officials could review um, out-of-bounds calls and stuff like that. But I didn't know you could review fouls and change fouls. And I thought that was very interesting, actually. And I'm glad they actually did review it because I thought it was definitely a blocking foul. I do not think that was a charge on Kevin Durant. LeBron did have his feet set, but when he took the contact, he he was twisting to the ground as he took the contact, and it was and it. It just didn't look like he maintained that legal guarding position. So, to me, it was a blocking foul, but I uh, it's totally based on one's perspective, how you look at it. It's totally up to what those referees were thinking. It's a bang-bang play. I don't like the rule, though. Even though I said I was I was happy they did it because it, I thought it was a blocking foul. And it, I don't like it because it disrupts the flow of the game. And it really like just changed the way the game could have ended. And the refs shouldn't have that kind of power at the end of the game. Uh, but I think even bigger than that was... Near the end of regulation with four seconds left, uh, tie game. No, no, sorry, not tied. Down one, the Cavaliers were. LeBron hits George Hill on a cut to the basket, and he gets fouled by Clay Thompson. Otherwise, it would have won the game more than likely. 
And George Hill was fouled, went to the line, made the first free throw, and tied it. Missed the second. J.R. Smith got the rebound and dribbled it out, thinking they had won the game, thinking they were in the lead. And it was really an insane play. I was so confused watching it. But he dribbled the clock out, thinking that the game was won for them. And it wasn't. It was tied. And so it went to overtime. And then the Warriors just blew him out. Ended up winning by 10 plus. So it was it was insane. Like it's to me that's just inexplicable for J.R. Smith. You had the game won right there. If you catch that ball and lay it in, you're you're open for a layup. You've got the position inside. Lay it in. Or at the very least, call a timeout when you catch it. And that way you can set up for a play with three or four seconds left. And you have a chance to win it. Yeah, it was just... That's just inexplicable to me. You're you're a 10-plus year veteran. I don't know how many years he's been in the league for. But he's been in the league long enough where you should understand... The situation, you should understand that this game is tied, not you're in the lead, not you're down, not you, you need to know the time, the score, what the situation is, where you need to be, what you need to do. And as a 13, 14 year vet, that's inexplicable. LeBron James was sensational. He was sensational last night. 51 points in the playoffs. In an NBA Finals game. That's an insane, insane scoring line. 51 points and accounted for over 70 points of the team's total offense. That's incredible. And he has actually done this twice where he's accounted for over 70 total points of the team's offense and lost a game. He's the only player to do that. And he's the only one to do it in the NBA Finals, and I'm pretty and I'm pretty sure he's the only one to do it twice, and the only one to do it. Period. You can't do that to LeBron. LeBron did everything he could have done to win that game, and had a great shot at the end, and you lost. And to me, that's just demoralizing. That's that changes the whole complexion of the series. It really does. Like JR gave the Warriors new life. The Warriors more than likely should have lost in the final seconds of regulation last night. And JR gave the Warriors new life. And then the Warriors destroyed them in the overtime period. That's inexplicable, unexplainable. And unforgivable. You need to be able to understand the situation. Like that's uh, that's that's a tough one for the Cavs. That's a tough one because really, my prediction, my prediction before the series would have started, and I'm not just saying this now. Even though it's like it's after the fact of game one, but I'm not just saying this based off of game one. 
Like I I thought before the series it would be a sweep or in five. Anyways, but with the way this game turned out, it's such a demoralizing loss for the Cavs that I I they're not going to recover. They're obviously not going to win the series, and I think it's for sure. I'm going to say a sweep. I'm going to say it's a sweep by the Warriors. I just think that's just that's so demoralizing because it's a huge shift in momentum. The Cavs had all this momentum in the final 30 seconds of the game. And then somehow gave it up and then lost the game. You've lost all that momentum. If you win the first game in Golden State and Oracle, that's a huge momentum booster. You would hopefully you would win that game. It'd probably be a split in Oakland. You back you go back to Cleveland with a great shot to go up 3-1 in the series. A, a great shot because Cleveland actually plays extremely well at home. They've got a terrific fan base who's always behind them. And the Warriors have sometimes struggled in Cleveland. It's a tremendous opportunity as an underdog to take out the the giant that are that is the Warriors. Like total total blown game by the Cavs, J.R. Smith. Really inexplicable. But Another key thing about this game, and really about the last few games for the Warriors, is their third quarter runs. The Warriors don't really play that well in the first half, or they, I guess they just don't really try in the first half, and they hang around because they know teams will get tired trying their hardest to put the, the Warriors out and keep them down. And then in the third quarter, the Warriors just explode, and it it showed again for the third, fourth game in a row, two or three games against Houston, and then this game one against the Cavs. And the Warriors also did it in the overtime period. And when the Warriors have their foot on the throttle like that, it's impossible to beat them. And like their shooting, their shooting percentages from three are insane. When Draymond Green's hitting threes, you know it's bad. You will lose if Draymond Green is hitting threes. It's really incredible how well the Warriors play and how they can change the complexion of a game in just really the first few minutes of the second half. It's amazing. But my prediction is... Warriors in four can see it going five, but I just don't see how the Cavs can come back from this with any kind of real strong confidence in, in any way, shape, or form. All right. So I want to do a top ten list of the most valuable players in the NBA Finals right now. And really this list skews heavily towards the Warriors because a lot of these players are Warriors. 
Number one, obviously, LeBron James. 51 points in game one. What more can you ask from him? He almost had a triple-double in the process. He's going to have to probably do that every night to be able to even win a game, really. If you're going to have any chance in the series, he's going to have to put 50 points up a night. And he's not getting any help from his teammates. Like Jordan Clarkson is garbage. Larry Nance Jr. is solid at times. JR rarely ever gets hot. Jeff Green is actually decent. Corver can never get anything going ever. It's it's really just LeBron against the Warriors right now. Number two is Steph Curry. Now a lot of people would say Kevin Durant at two. I don't think Kevin Durant is the most valuable out of the four stars on the Warriors. I think he's actually the least valuable. My list goes Steph Curry, Draymond Green, three, Clay Thompson, four, Kevin Durant, five. The Warriors can absolutely win without Kevin Durant, and here's why. Kevin Durant has not shown up in the fourth quarter uh, last game, last night, or against the Rockets. He has not shown up. He is not getting the ball. He's not calling for the ball. He's not taking shots. He is shying away from the moment. And it's strange because he wasn't last year. And I don't know what's going on, but he needs to figure it out. Steph Curry, I think, is the engine that drives the Warriors. I think if you left Kevin Durant, if, it, if Curry was out and you left Kevin Durant with this team to lead this team, I'm not sure if they would beat the Cavs four out of seven times. I still think they would have a good chance, but I'm I'm not sure if Durant could do it. I'm not sure if he could because Steph Curry drives this offense. When he gets going, everybody else feeds off of it. And Durant kind of does his own thing. Steph Curry is extremely important to the Warriors' success in this series. Number three, Draymond Green. The reason why I have him at three is because of the 2016 NBA Finals. When he was suspended for Game 5, Warriors were, or the Cavaliers were able to, to gain momentum. And we know how history set itself. We know how the story ends. The Warriors need Draymond Green. Draymond Green gives them an edge. He's a defensive anchor. He can stretch the floor. He's an excellent passer. He's kind of their facilitator on offense. And they really need him in order to keep ball movement going, get guys involved, and play great defense. Number four, I have Clay Thompson. When Clay's on, I think the Warriors are unbeatable. When when Clay Thompson and Draymond Green both play well in the same game, I find it that the Warriors rarely ever lose because Either Steph or Durant are going to play well also. One of those guys will. And when you have three of those guys playing extremely well, it's extremely difficult to beat them. And Clay Thompson right now is 
kind of got a little bit of a leg contusion, played very well last night, was hitting a lot of clutch threes. And he's an excellent defender, too. So if he was switched off onto LeBron, not saying he can stop LeBron. No one can really stop LeBron, but he's a strong defender. Number five, as I said, Kevin Durant. Number six, finally, we have another Cavaliers player, Kevin Love. Kevin Love needs to be the Minnesota Timberwolves' Kevin Love if he... If the Cavs are going to have any success. He needs to be a beast on the glass. He needs to be hitting his threes. He needs to be posting up on the block. And bullying people inside. He needs to be a beast. If they're going to have a chance. LeBron. Can do it all. He does do it all. But he needs help. Number seven. Andre Iguodala, he hasn't played since the beginning of the Rockets series. And he's doubtful for game two, but when he is in the game, LeBron is nowhere near as efficient. Andre Iguodala might be the only player that can stop LeBron in the league. And I don't mean shut him down, but I mean significantly slow his production. And when when Andre Iguodala bottles up LeBron, again, the Warriors are unbeatable. Andre Iguodala is extremely important for the Warriors to get back. And if he gets back, they may not even need him. But I think later in the series, if he's able to come back, you definitely need to bring him back because LeBron is always a threat. Number eight, Sean Livingston. Livingston, I think, might be the best backup point guard in the league. Mid-range, unstoppable. He is the best mid-range shooting point guard in the game, I think. He's got such long arms. He's so strong. He can back you down and shoot that little fadeaway mid-range. And he's an excellent passer, too. It's and, and he's a great at cutting to the basket, great defender, and can really handle the ball well. This guy is as professional as it gets. And for him to run the second unit of the Warriors when Curry takes a break or Clay Thompson's taking a break, for him to keep that offense going and also play with Curry and give Curry a break from ball handling responsibility and get Curry going off the ball, getting him some off the ball live catches for some threes. Again, that's their death lineup. The Warriors' death lineup has Sean Livingston in it. And the Warriors are unstoppable. Like I've, I think that's the theme of the Warriors is unstoppable when certain guys do certain things. Number nine for the Cavaliers, Jeff Green. Jeff Green Jeff Green is almost as valuable as Kevin Love. He almost, he almost is. He can stretch the floor. He's a lot more athletic than Kevin Love, so he can run the break easier. 
He's not a great as a greater passer as Love. Like the outlet passes, Kevin Love is the best outlet passer in the league. But Jeff Green really needs to get going offensively, hit some threes, get himself going, get some stuff driving to the hoop, cutting to the basket. And he is athletic enough to guard some of the wing players for the Warriors. And I think he is key if the Warriors are going to have any any kind of success. And then number 10, Tristan Thompson. Thompson needs to be a, a beast on the glass. He needs to dominate the paint, get Draymond out of the paint, and rebound well. He needs to rebound well. And the Cavs need to control the pace and establish a rebounding advantage in order to win because more possessions means potentially means more scoring opportunities and the more scoring opportunities you have against the Warriors the better and plus he needs to be an anchor in the paint as well he needs to play great defense because that's the one thing you need against the Warriors is great defense. And a lot of times that isn't even enough. But you need great defense to even have a chance. So those are the top 10 most valuable players in these finals, according to me. LeBron, Curry, Draymond, Clay Thompson, Durant, Kevin Love, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, Jeff Green, and Tristan Thompson. All right, we're going to do another top list. Last week I said I was going to do an NBA top 30. I was debating the number of players I would do, and I picked 30. And I'm not going to do all 30 this episode. I'm going to break it up so it would be like 5-1 episode and just, just keep going until we get to the top. So we're going to start this episode with 30 through 26 the bottom five players of my top 30 number 30 Mike Conley from the Memphis Grizzlies point guard he is a very solid point guard pretty good defensively can shoot the ball very well injury prone very injury prone over the last few years but he's very solid number 29 Andre Drummond an excellent rebounder and shot blocker He's working on his three-point game, and that is scary. I've seen some videos. He looks like he can shoot the lights out. And you add that to his game, he almost becomes like a Carl Anthony Towns, but more athletic. Number 28, Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap has always been a he's been like a quiet star. Almost kind of like a Kawhi Leonard in a way. Obviously nowhere near as good. But still extremely, extremely skilled, can stretch the floor, great rebounder, he's athletic, good free throw shooter. And he's an excellent leader too, he's an excellent quality veteran. Number 27, Al Horford from the Celtics. Al Horford might be the best facilitating big man in basketball. Excellent passer. Excellent leader. He has playoff experience. And really, I think he played a vital role in getting the 
Boston Celtics to where they were in the in the playoffs. The the Celtics could have easily lost to the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round, and I think Al Horford was key in getting them over the hump. And then finally, to round out the bottom five of my top thirty, number twenty-six, Victor Oladipo, the in my opinion, the most improved player in the NBA this season. He, I, I mean, when he left OKC, his shooting, his scoring numbers jumped up about seven points. I think he was averaging 15 in OKC, and he jumped up to 22, 23 points a game in Indiana. This guy's extremely athletic, a great scorer, and you got a, a very, very bright future in Indiana. All right, so that is the bottom five of my NBA Top 30. Next episode will be 25 through 21. All right, so the Warriors are going to win the NBA Finals. I think that that's a given. If anyone in their right mind believes Cleveland can actually win the series, you might want to go get yourself checked out. And I'm not kidding either. I have. I'm, it might sound funny. I'm serious. I, like you, the Warriors are winning this series. So with that in mind, you got to think that LeBron is going to be out the door. David Griffin said that he's not worried about LeBron's free agency right now. He's worried about what they're doing in the finals, and I believe him. But you also, I'm sure he's got it in the back of his mind what he's going to try to do to keep LeBron, what he's going to pitch to him. But I think the, the, the next stage for LeBron, whether it's in Cleveland or, or not, I think after this year, it's all about chasing the GOAT. So it's it's all about chasing Michael Jordan, which means he's going to be chasing championships. And so I don't think Cleveland is the best place for him if he wants to win championships. He's got terrible contracts on his roster that you cannot trade. They're untradeable contracts. So staying in Cleveland next season... May not be an option, but I do like the Lakers and the Sixers. It it was said that LeBron would like to play on a team where he could play off the ball more and have another guy run the offense. And I think the Sixers and the Lakers fit perfectly for that. Because Lonzo Ball is the primary ball handler in Los Angeles. Excellent passer. And the same with Ben Simmons. So LeBron would get exactly what he wants by going to one of those two teams. And if LeBron wants to play with superstars, it's a great opportunity in both Philly and Los Angeles. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are going to be superstars. I would say Embiid is a superstar now. Ben Simmons is a star. 
Ben Simmons is rising up. That's a great situation there playing with two stars. In Los Angeles, you'll likely bring in Paul George if you go there. There's a star, and Lonzo, I think, can be a star. Plus, you have Kuzma and Brandon Ingram. I think you have a much better core around you if you go to Los Angeles versus Philadelphia. Philadelphia, though, I would be I would watch because their team president, team president, what's his name? I had it written down. Oh yes, Brian Colangelo. Uh, he is being investigated right now for trashing his own players on Twitter, creating burner accounts, fake accounts, and basically roasting his own players. And that's a terrible look right now. I think that's eventually going to turn into a dumpster fire. Uh, not necessarily the team, but just that situation. Um... Brett Brown, I don't think, is a quality head coach. I think Brett Brown was just a product of his team instead of the other way around. Um, so if I was LeBron, I would probably lean towards Los Angeles in terms of just overall basketball fit and things of that nature. But another thing that LeBron needs to consider, and I would definitely consider it too, is staying in the East. Staying in the East guarantees you a finals appearance for every year he is still as dominant as this in the league. He will be guaranteed the Eastern Conference Finals at a minimum in the Eastern Conference and a great shot every year to get back to the Finals. In the Western Conference, though, you're going to have to compete against Golden State, Houston, San Antonio is going to be better. Uh, Minnesota is going to get their act together. And the Spurs always find a way to be great. So it's extremely difficult in the West. It's an extremely tough conference, competitive conference. Getting to the Western Conference Finals isn't a given. It's not a given with how talented the rosters are in the West. But in the East, it's about as close to given as it can get. So I think there's there's pros and cons to, to everything. I don't think Houston is an option for LeBron. I, playing for a superstar, two superstars who actually would completely take the ball away from LeBron in James Harden and Chris Paul, two ball ball-centered guys. I think that would be ideal for him, but I don't think LeBron wants to do that. Number one, you're going to have to get rid of Capella. Clint Capella is going to have to be gone if you're going to have CP3, Harden, and LeBron on the same roster. Also, your bench is going to be depleted. You're not going to have a very strong bench. You're not going to have much cap space. And... Chris Paul gets hurt all the time. He is a... He's getting hurt more and more now. And that's kind of, I think that's part of the reason why LeBron left Miami after a few years, because D. Wade was starting to de de deteriorate. 
like Wade and LeBron were best friends, but eventually Wade was getting was starting to break down, and Chris Paul is starting to break down right now. They would be an outstanding team and likely could win the West. But in terms of just long-term stability, I don't think there's much there, and I don't know how how long Chris Paul can last in a season anymore. So I think Houston's out of the question. I really think it boils down to whether or not he wants to stay home or go play with guys on another team where he doesn't have to handle the ball as much. And another thing that's extremely interesting, and I was I watched this on The Herd the other day, great show, as I continuously say, <laughs> but uh, Colin Cowherd had a theory. What if LeBron re- retired? But not like retired forever, but just sat out a year. Kind of what like Michael Jordan did. Michael Jordan went and played baseball. Went and played minor league baseball. But he went to play baseball. Michael Jordan actually retired twice. It's not totally crazy. If you think about it, Philly kind of has problems right now with their team president. The Lakers, you've got LeVar Ball hanging over your shoulder. In Houston, Chris Paul's getting hurt. And in Cleveland, in Cleveland, all of the players on your team, they have contracts that are untradeable. Every player on that team is untradeable. Except maybe for Kevin Love. And that's it. But realistically, what are you going to get from him? With that being said, There isn't an actual perfect situation for LeBron. So if you retire for one season, when you come back, not only are you going to have every team in the league bidding after you, bidding for you, but all those bad contracts in Cleveland will be expired. LeBron can re-sign with the Cavs. And they'll have all this money from these bad contracts to go spend on some top-tier free agents in 2019. I'm sorry, not in 2019. Not in 2019. Well, yeah, it would be for 2019. The 2019 offseason. Just think about that. It's an interesting theory. It really is. I don't know if it would happen. But... I really wouldn't be surprised because there actually isn't that perfect ideal spot for LeBron. There really isn't. All right, we're going to do a quick hockey update. Uh, The Stanley Cup Finals are going on right now. It is the Las Vegas Golden Knights against the Washington Capitals, and that series is currently tied... At one apiece, I'm going to search real quick the Stanley Cup Finals and just, I, I believe game three is tonight, but just let me check that out real quick. 
Stanley Cup Finals. Game three is tomorrow night at 8 p.m. So look out for that. Tell you what, the Golden Knights, first year as an expansion, expansion team, and they're in the Stanley Cup Finals and tied one apiece. If they win the Stanley Cup, that's got to be one of the greatest stories in sports history. First year as an expansion team, and you win the Stanley Cup, that's an, that's an incredible, almost, that's an incredible and unprecedented feat. And then the Capitals, I don't think they've been this good for a while. So, looking at a great series, I'm not huge into hockey. I do like to watch it a little bit. I definitely will tune in to Game 3 tomorrow. I am definitely interested in that. Kind of low-key rooting for the Golden Knights, just because I want to see an expansion team win it all. I think that would be great for sports. So yeah, check that out. Game 3, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. And then we have Game 2 of the NBA Finals in Oracle on Sunday. So that's a good weekend of sports. Also, the French Open is currently happening in tennis. So... Any of you tennis fans out there, that is something to watch. I've been watching that a little bit. Not into it. I'm not really into the French Open as much as the other majors, just because like, I'm a Roger Federer fan. I like Roger Federer. And Federer is sitting out the, the French Open for the second consecutive year, just to kind of save his legs for Wimbledon. So I'm really looking forward to Wimbledon right now. And that should be coming up in a month or two. I, but no, actually in June. And today is June 1st. So that's coming up soon. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. But for the French Open, as far as predictions go, I think Rafael Nadal is the overwhelming favorite. He's won 10 French Opens. That's incredible. And I... And I think I'm going to go with Nadal as my prediction for the French Open. I, for sure, definitely, that would be his 11th title at Roland Garros. And then I am definitely looking forward to Wimbledon, and I will definitely be covering that for you guys when the time comes. And then for the Stanley Cup Finals prediction, I don't really know all too much about this series and the teams going on and what's going on. But my prediction, I'll go Golden Knights in seven. That's what I'll do. Because they seem to be like decently matched. So we'll go with Golden Knights in seven. And then to close out the show, I want to do something with you guys, kind of engage with you guys on Twitter a little bit. So on my regular Twitter, 
just my personal Twitter, there was this thing that one of the people I follow kind of started. It was a sports thing where, like, yeah, you list some sports, like like your favorite sports or whatever to watch or whatever. And you list your favorite player of all time in each sport. And I thought it was a pretty cool thing. I posted one. I'm going to repost that on the show Twitter page. And then I want you guys to at me with your lists of your favorite players. And maybe if I like your list, I will talk about it on next week's show and just kind of see what you guys have. So definitely look out for that. I will tweet that after this episode is uploaded. It probably won't upload until early, probably in the middle of the night. So yeah, but that's it for me, guys. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter. At the Will Four Show, if you want to see my favorite player in each sport all time, and you can do whatever sports you want. It's obviously you have a character limit, so you know be mindful of that. But do whatever sports you want. Looking forward to see if you guys at me with anything. I don't have a ton of followers, so I may not get anything. But hopefully, someone out there gives me a list. Uh, But thank you for listening, guys. We'll see you next Friday. It is WFS. Living a good life full of goodbyes my eyes are on the gray sky saying I don't want to come home tonight Yeah, and I'm high up off work I don't even remember But my friend passed out in the override Oh, I'm from the city of the 915 Where all the girls are pretty And they're down for the hype All my boys are with me Going up for the night who cares? Who cares? This is all yeah. So wake me up in the spring while I'm half my American dream. We don't always say what we mean. It's the lie of the American dream. Maybe the end is near, but I've been waiting all year. Get the hell up out of hell And throw away my fears I'm so faded I'm so faded Off of all the things that I take in And maybe I'm not really drunk Maybe I'm really good at faking From the city of the 915 Where all the girls are pretty And they're down for the hype And all my boys are with me Going up for the night But who cares?
living life as an American team American team Say what we mean When we're high off our American team My youth is the foundation of me Oh, I'm proud to be American So wake me up in the spring While I'm high off my American teenager And I'll be living this dream with you We don't always say what we mean When we're high off our American team My youth is the foundation of me Oh, I'm proud to be American